Welcome to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, sponsored by Fortinet. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the program. My guest today is Sunny Bagawalia, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner and Deputy Chief Information Officer in the Office of Information and Technology for the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Directorate at the Homeland Security Department. Sunny, welcome to the program. Thank you. In many ways, this is a return engagement for you. You've been on the show many times, but this is the first time you're back on the show as part of the Customs and Border Protection. And there's a ton of work going on. I saw you speak about a month, month and a half ago now at a conference, and you just went through the litany of work you guys are doing. So we have plenty of stuff to cover. So let, let me start with, first of all, the, the, the beginning. IT modernization, it's all the rage across government. Let's talk about CBP and the, the path you guys are going down for IT modernization. IT is sort of so core and intrinsic to everything we do in our daily mission. And we have an incredible mission in terms of safeguarding America. And I think with all the things that we're doing, not only the border, uh, but also in terms of promoting uh, legitimate trade and travel, that uh, IT sort of uh, is part of all business processes and everything that we do in the mission uh, every day. CBP has a large mission, as you know, in terms of the length, I mean, the depth and breadth of what we do. And so we focus, our modernization effort is focusing on delivering of initiatives across four main areas. One is sort of application development and mobility, because everything needs to be mobile, and then application needs to be agile and really delivered fast. Cloud and infrastructure, so while we have very strong infrastructure going across to make sure things are working well, we have to kind of go to the cloud, but in a secure way. Uh, data and analytics, everything is now, you need to have the information available to you anywhere, anywhere, anytime on your fingertips so that you can make uh, decisions. And resiliency and recovery. And resiliency and recovery really focuses on how do we make sure things are up, uh, you know, 24-7, 365, because we are that kind of mission. And I'll just say, you know, all my 34 years, and I've done this for 34 years, in many, many agencies, this agency is doing an amazing, amazing job under the leadership of uh, the Assistant Commissioner Phil Lanfried and uh, my executive team there uh, just every day. And so uh, it's, it's been busy, and uh, you know, every now and then we get a few hours of sleep as well. <laughs> so. Exactly. The, the job of a federal CIO is never ends. So I'm going to dig into each of these, but before we do that, let's yeah. just talk briefly because in many ways, CBP is one of the largest, if not the largest, organization, agency that you've ever worked at. Now, I remember, if you look back at your history, you were with GSA, you were with Treasury, and you were at the, the first CIO of the state of Hawaii, but you also had a private sector experience. Yes. How does CBP compare to, in terms of IT modernization, the, the work that you need to do? been in many organizations. As you mentioned, I've been a sort of a chief engineer in the Boeing company and Boeing Information Services, serving you know NASA and Intel community and DOD. Large company, you know, Fortune 30, obviously big scope there. Been the FBI, which is somewhat equivalent, I think, in terms of size and scope of what CBP does. But CBP also has an external facing, facing mission in terms of the trade and travel, in terms of just the, the counter threat, and then and obviously what we're doing in terms of the border. It's, it's extensive. So I think from that standpoint, it's a, it's a little bit broader mission. Treasury and Interior, obviously large agencies as well. In terms of scope, Treasury was $4 billion that, we, uh, that I oversaw and in interior was like you know over uh, over a billion so those are also large so i think cbp is about one and a half billion in terms of it everything that we do on a 24/7 basis and what we what we manage uh, across to keep operations going because if travel we process something like 1.2 million passengers a day if something happens there people sort of in the social media age can put something out there and we we notice it even from our uh, industry partners or if cargo doesn't move, we are moving all the cargo with several times even that number. 
And then you're looking at uh, trade, which is in the billions of dollars, and we process and collect, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, trillions. So I, I just think all of that is really an important distinction that makes CBP incredible, incredibly a little bit different and probably larger than 85% of some of the agencies that I have seen. But I've also been in other agencies in, in, in you know, important roles. You mentioned the, the really the four pillars or four main objectives. Yes. So let's go down that path. Let me start with cloud infrastructure as the first one, because I think as you went through all the things that CBP does and you talked about the mission side, yes. so much of it depends on that infrastructure piece. Mm-hmm. So first of all, obviously there's cloud, there's hybrid cloud, we can call it whatever we want, there's yes. data centers, yes. there's the as a service world. So let's talk about your approach to cloud, where does hybrid cloud fit in, and then we can go down the path maybe of the secure piece. On cloud itself, first of all, we have uh, obviously got a couple of data centers that we're fully uh, you know, compliant with, the Federal Data Center Consolidation Strategy, and we're working with DHS and making sure that works. So that's sort of uh, table stakes, but making sure that's really reliable and going. But while we're doing that, we're uh, looking at also infrastructure as a service and uh, platform as a service and and also software as a service. So all three. Also hybrid cloud in terms of uh, not only on-prem, but also, you know, in terms of just leveraging uh, industry services. We have to operate at a FISMA moderate to FISMA high level because of the sensitive, we are a law enforcement agency, so anything that can be processed at sensitive and unclassified levels has to be at a commensurate uh, FISMA uh, level. So I think with that, we adopt uh, certain things where uh, with FedRAMP, those programs are now down the road, 10, 12 years down the road, we are seeing that in come to fruition and how we're leveraging that. So I think all of that is very good to see that. And uh, cloud allows us to deploy things faster, and that's the key to our mission. We deploy things in agile, concurrent fashion in days, not weeks. And in, in, in some instances, it's quite stunning in terms of how many concurrent teams we have doing that, and that's all available through the cloud. The other thing is resiliency in the cloud itself. So for example, we would take, we have internet connection points, and we have an incredible network executive, uh, Bob Costello and, and others who are doing things where we are actually able to not only have an east and west presence, uh, but have redundancy. So not only at the, uh, we're trying to get to uh, the, uh, you know, sort of border level, but also from our main uh, data center locations, have ability to kind of go to the east and west and through uh, connection access points and, and internet connection points, ICPs and CAPs, and really make sure from AWS that we are uh, pretty secure from that standpoint. So all of that has to be looked at from a system engineering and other aspects, and we're doing that. And what that does for us is allow us to be up and running as much as possible, and in fact, 24-7 is what I mean, but uh, sometimes stuff happens and then you have to invoke uh, alternate capabilities, and the cloud has afforded, afforded us to do that. But I will say, with the cloud, it comes a lot of responsibility also making sure that security is there, that privacy is there, but more importantly, that the applications can actually run in the cloud at scale, at speed. So the difference here is, that the things that we're doing, we're, run, we're running like multiple fortune companies here at the level of scale I'm talking about. And you just can't take, you don't have a sort of a, a trade system that you can just buy commercial off the shelf. Or a travel system you can buy commercial off the shelf. These are really sophisticated, very high enterprise systems. So we're, what we're doing is having a strategy where you sort of uh, migrate the easier one first, which is sort of standard things that everyone uses. And then certain things that require a little bit of work, that'll be sort of the middle tier. And the last would be the monolithic systems that you know will take some time to migrate. 
You brought up so many things there, so let me back up. First of all, I got to ask about this. FedRAMP, you, everyone has, seems like CIOs, when I talk to them, have a love-hate relationship with FedRAMP. Now that you're on the other side, you're among the, the pioneers that helped get it going. Now you have to live in it. Yes. It's much different, though, in the last 10 years, isn't it? It is. It is. You know, so when I was in state CIO, uh, we welcomed that opportunity because in some areas, the state governments do not have as much resources as, as the federal partners. So when you can leverage things where you can leverage someone's uh, security controls and what they've already done, then it allows them to get to sort of mission faster. And so we, we appreciated that. On the other side, yes, uh, it's culture, right? And some, some people accept it, some people don't accept, uh, you know, and so they add a few more controls. So everyone's adding a little bit extra and adding time. So that's cultural between agencies, and uh, I'm seeing some challenges sometimes, but we, our agency is definitely... If some other agency is at a similar level and has a similar sort of capability, we will accept that, add a couple of controls, and get faster. And by the way, we have also come up with a faster ATO process and uh, looking at not only the business process, but also the technology. So the business process has allowed us to do that, and our CISO, Alma Cole, and, uh, uh, and Louise Coronado, who has now uh, sort of taken a position at the DHS area, is really been doing a fantastic job in terms of working and getting that ATO, faster ATO, in, in that process. So that plus the FedRAMP has really allowed us to deploy things faster. And I think the idea is to keep innovating because we need capability to the mission owners. We remember who we serve. It's all about the mission and that's what drives us at CBP. It's funny you bring up the reciprocity because that was the whole point of FedRAMP, right? When, you, when you guys developed it, <laughs> you said, well, we're going to do it once and we're going to use it many times. And what we've seen is agencies and people in your position have gone, well, Maybe not yet, or maybe we need to check that with one thing. It's interesting. So reciprocity, you guys are very big on that, as, we, as much as you can be. Yes, and also sharing back, and sharing back yeah. as well, meaning that if there's few controls, if someone comes back and says, no, I want to add 20 more controls to something that's already kind of pretty close to what someone else is doing, then that's, we're saying we don't need that. I think the key thing on FedRAMP was we looked at a lot of controls from a FISMA standpoint. The new thing, twist, is really looking at the data. And I think data classification seems to be a big thing within government that we all need to take a look at. So that's another field that was sort of external a little bit, but kind of related. And I think uh, that has now become a, an area of collaboration, not only with the privacy officer, but with its chief data officers as well. So I think with that in mind, these are all coming together. So I think the game has evolved in a positive way, moving forward in a positive way. Uh, I think there's a little bit more opportunity to get to the next level of Fed ramps. I see that uh, you know uh, Megan and others, are, you know, and and uh, I mean I've really moved this, and uh, I'm sorry, Ashley Mann has moved this, but uh, uh, we we want to evangelize and keep this thing going forward, and we take advantage of. Uh, uh, you know, FedRAMP uh, cloud offerings and other offerings. You, you hit there all the right notes because if you would have said, well, we're suppressed, we're not quite sure, people would have come oh, back no, and no, said, no. This, is, this is your fault, Sonny, look what you did to no, me. No, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, but still, I just, I encourage all my co colleagues and compatriots that, hey, listen, look into your own organizations and if there is sort of inertia and all that, like, let's move it out forward because you know what, at the end of the day, the five extra controls may not make so much of a difference. The idea is to put some capability out there, and you can always adapt as you go forward. So Absolutely. I think that's what we try to do. All right, you mentioned uh, faster ATO. We're going to get to that, but after the break. Yeah. I think that's a hot topic across government. My guest is Sunny Bagualia, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner and Deputy CIO in the Office of Information and Technology in the U.S. Customs and Border Protection in the Homeland Security Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Fortinet on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. The federal model for IT has evolved. 
Agencies are increasingly acquiring cloud services to host their applications while adopting software development practices tailored to the virtualized hybrid cloud environment. Multiple clouds and multiple geographies can enhance application performance but present new management challenges. Tune in on July 18th to hear how agencies are using networking as a service to enhance security, reduce costs, and reduce downtime. Thursday, July 18th at 12 noon, sponsored by CenturyLink. Wells Fargo is proud to be part of the D.C. community for more than 100 years and is working to build a better bank. Here's Wells Fargo executive Mary Mack, who is helping lead this transformation. I'm Mary Mack, head of Wells Fargo Consumer Banking. More importantly, I'm the mom of three daughters. So as you can imagine, the topic of women in leadership is super important to me. Wells Fargo's changed a lot in the last several years, and our focus on recruiting and mentoring women in leadership has never been stronger. Today, a record number of women, including me, are leading Wells Fargo to become a better bank. Wells Fargo is now the first major U.S. bank to have its board led by a woman. The majority of our team members, 56%, are also women, making a family-friendly work environment more important than ever. That's why we offer up to four months of fully paid parental leave. At Wells Fargo, supporting women in leadership is a critical part of our mission. Learn more at stories.wf.com slash women. Hi, I'm Raymond Denon, Vice President of Optima Tax Relief. If you're in debt to the IRS, there's a lot you need to know. Starting with rule number one, don't mess with the IRS. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank accounts, even take your home or business. That's all true. But it's also true that there's a way out. It's called the Fresh Start Initiative. It's one of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered. If you qualify, you could save thousands, even tens of thousands. Nobody knows this program like us, the experts at Optima Tax Relief. We have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and we've resolved over $500 million in tax debt for our clients. We'll stand between you and the IRS and fight to get you the best deal possible. Don't mess with the IRS. For tax help you need, for tax help you can trust. Call Optima for a free consultation. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Optima Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Hi, this is Executive Editor Jason Miller, host of Ask the CIO. Check out my weekly conversations with agency CIOs, CISOs, and other high-level IT leaders. Find out what's on their minds as we examine the issues all IT offices have to tackle. Cyber, cloud, big data, IoT, consolidation, budget, and workforce. It's the talk of the IT community. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, or subscribe to Ask the CIO on iTunes or Podcast One. This is Scott Massioni. Follow me for the latest news critical to the defense community on Twitter at WFED. S-M-A-U-C-I-O-N-E-W-F-E-D. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Fortinet on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Sonny Bagualia, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner and Deputy CIO in the Office of Information and Technology at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Directorate at the Homeland Security Department. Now, Sonny, before a break, we we're talking about your IT modernization strategy and Toward the end, when we started talking about FedRAMP, you brought up ATO, the Authority to Operate Process, the bane of every CIO's existence, the bane of every program manager's existence, but hugely important. 
You mentioned that you've worked with your CISO, Chief Information Security Officer, Alma Cole, who I've met many times over the years. You used to mention that he was able to come up with a faster ATO process. Describe what that looks like. You know, there's an element of time, there's an element of steps, there's an element of sort of acceptance of uh, certain, like you said, capabilities that uh, people tend to, tend to re-litigate or re-adjudicate. So we, what we have done is uh, Luis Coronado working with uh, Alma and, and working across our different processes, we're able to look at historically how some of these packages were coming in and why certain people were kind of looking at that package and then adding more steps or taking more time or asking for more information. or So combination of many, many different things which one could say, you know what, there's a need that we can obviate some of the steps that we don't need. And, you know, you can take certain areas that you say, hey, listen, this is plenty good enough. And so they came up with a, a team, a cross-functional uh, team that allowed you to kind of work together across that. Because remember, there's a business process element and a policy element, and there's a, you know, technology and governance element to this, right? So when, when they did that, they were able to really reduce this uh, much faster and in fact, it was very well received and uh, even shared that uh, with the department in terms of kind of making that available to others. So I think it's an example of where, uh, of their own volition, you know, people are able to sort of take a step. We encourage them, obviously, Phil and I sort of, you know, support them. And, and there's an ulterior motive, of course. We want to get there faster because we can't have things wait a while. But it also takes collaboration. We have to look at equities that represent from the privacy office. We have to look at equities that look at data. We look, have to look at equities in what people are looking for. So it's not just sort of a, a wave of the hands kind of thing. It's really looking at that. But that process is, uh, has uh, yielded results. And, uh, you, you know, we can, we, can, we can even share at some point very quickly what the percentages are. But there's definitely improvements, uh, you know, uh, uh, way beyond 25%, I'll say but there's a number in, in re reduction in time and, and, and effort. So it's less hassle, faster, great example of uh, innovation. It goes back to what you said at the beginning, <clears throat> which is getting capabilities to the mission owners faster. And if the ATO is one of those big speed bumps in the process, if you could reduce it, as you said, even by 25% or whatever the, to the, the percentage is, yeah. That's a huge, is it something that you're already seeing the benefits of, or is it something you'll see it kind of a little no, bit in the future? We're seeing it already, because there are programs within a component bureau, then bureaus within a department, departments within a government acquired, right? So just imagine what we're talking about here. There's a massive amount of things involved here. So it's really first at the component level, and then component to component level, we're also willing to share but we are seeing that within, uh, within CVP, which is the largest bureau within uh, DHS. And because we have a mission that is 24-7, 365, and really going at scale, it really benefits our uh, mission owners okay. the fastest. And we are prioritizing certain things which allows you to get to those faster. Because if something is in the way that allow, prevents you from providing that service because of cybersecurity and because of an ATO, then that's not acceptable. So we're trying to move that faster. So that's what we're trying to do. And uh, I think it's, it's definitely an innovation in government that uh, we're pretty proud of. And I'm glad to hear you guys obviously shared it across the department. I'm sure other agencies also will be interested too. You also mentioned when we talked about cloud and you said you're looking at infrastructure platform yeah. and software as a service. Yes. Interestingly enough, CBP joined with some of your component sister organizations and had an industry day around cloud, cloud migration. Mm -hmm. Give me the status of that effort post-industry day. What are the next steps uh, vendors and others should be looking out for? 
So I think we're always trying to engage with industry, work uh, not only with our partners and uh, stakeholders with have equities within CBP, but also with the department itself. So we're working with the cloud executive officer, Shamendra, uh, in the department and looking at what they're uh, wanting to do. We're also looking at our other components, and that's what you saw that day, where everyone's sharing their ideas, we're sharing our ideas. I think what is coalescing realistically is that not only we want more diversity and uh, small business and others to kind of uh, bring that innovation and hunger in, in, in here, we also have to let our acquisitions out. So you'll see some of that already with some cloud components in there. And uh, we're looking at a sort of data center migration and cloud program that allows us to sort of coalesce the rest of our efforts you know, when we get to the rather monolith. So the big programs will have their own acquisitions as, with the cloud component in there, with an integration area. But the rest of them, we are really working still towards the full acquisition strategy which we reveal. But I would just encourage all industry to participate in a lot of the industry days, and we're making a lot more of them happen so that you can, we can tell you our strategy, we can tell you these are coming, we are, acquisitions are being released. We encourage competition. We want more competition to, you know, that's good for the government as well, bring innovation and ideas and, and best prices, but also uh, mission. We're trying to tell them the importance of how the cloud enables the mission. So it's really important to understand the business process, the data, how, how we need it, and, and find uh, innovation as how we can solve problems. So I think all those three things is what we're looking for. So you'll be seeing a lot more in this area. And so I would not wait on a, just one cloud acquisition, sort of the big one coming out. There'll be small ones coming out, but you'll see a component in there that'll link these things together. So people who can see it will, will immediately get the kind of things that we're trying to do. But the idea is to migrate to the cloud. The idea is that, uh, so it's less a sort of a cloud first, but security also in there throughout the process, privacy in there throughout the process, resiliency and recovery, those four things that I talked about. You know, how will that work? And make sure, like for example, even if you have the thing working, you know, you're going through the east and west component and, and keeping redundancy and resiliency working in there through our architectures. Finally, uh, EIS is coming in as well. And so we're gonna, you know, we're participating in that, but we're not waiting. We're doing certain things ourselves to just make sure that daily mission stuff happens. And for example, Bob is doing some incredible stuff in networks trying to just keep the border stations always up with resiliency. So if the circuits go down, and sometimes we've had fiber cuts where external to us. So we have 4G LTE and other cradle points and other kinds of capabilities that we put out there, that he's put out there with the team that allows us to have resi resiliency at all times. Because you have to be in the front lines to see what's going on. And when you see that, having spent a few days just off and on, and some of our teams are spending more time, it's quite incredible what they're doing, and I, I just got to give full props to all the border agents and everyone else who every day is doing a tremendous job for us along with AMO and our field operations. I'm glad you mentioned EIS. Your friends at GSA would be very upset if you didn't. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> no, no, but we're, we're, we're playing along, of and, course. And it's a great segue <laughs> to the broader discussion about network because, in, as you brought up, it, cloud is a piece of it, but yeah. really what you need to do is have a network that is you know, redundant, resilient, and, and serves the mission and yeah. fast. And So t discuss the, your, your kind of plan around the network modernization, and where does something like software-defined network and SD-WAN fit into that discussion? First of all, a network, uh, one of our execs uh, who is leading the network uh, effort is doing an incredible job. Uh, I'm a network engineer myself, so I've sort of designed networks for NASA, FBI, deployed many in other agencies as well. 
But here, things are moving very, very quickly. I mean, things are done, like I said, in sometimes days, not weeks, weeks, not months. So it's, it's because people are looking at it not only holistically, but there's a plan, there's a sort of a method to what we're trying to do, and really making sure that not only are we inserting pragmatic in technology insertion, but making sure first the bandwidth is there. So the first thing we're doing is increasing bandwidth solid location, because guess what's happening? You know, the video applications and data applications are more bandwidth hogged, right? And so not only that, but also latency. So because some of the places that we serve, where our 360 ports of entry and others are out there, we don't have enough uh, uh, carrier uh, diversity or availability there. So we have to look at that, but also then provide other capabilities like I told you, wireless and also fiber. And so we're increasing that. So it's a dual strategy to kind of keep resiliency, but also increase bandwidth. What that has done is allowed us to do our missions faster and get to that because there's a big demand for analytics, as you know, what's, uh, you know in, in, the, in the front lines. You talked about new SD-WAN and other approaches. So we have not only an SD-LAN uh, approach uh, with uh, going to more flat topology so that we have less expensive sort of large core devices. We can also have an ability to sort of logically map traffic flows, and we're doing some amazing work with some of our vendors as well in that area. We're increasing security so that we can restrict traffic flows in certain areas immediately and, and allows that, and also with the trade partners. So keep in mind, we have industry partners in that whole supply chain. We have uh, some switches that can reduce cabling across the data center because uh, things are uh, done with uh, sort of a top of, uh, top of the rack uh, uh, switches. We have uh, logical separated tenants, so we, we can be multi-tenant, but also allow us to have uh, our components within uh, DHS there, but uh, have a logical separation. Everything's available so that you can configure immediately in a, in a GUI interface uh, and, and, and allow configuration of that. And the throughput is getting to uh, you know, 40 to 100 gigabits uh, in terms of the overall capacity. So again, we're doing real good stuff with that. In the SD-WAN, we're more in the evaluation mode, uh, but we do realize that this fast deployment will allow us to get more to the field sites, so allowing new links automatically connecting to a server with more availability, more control of critical traffic, and more easier circuit upgrades and configuration. So we're actively looking to that, uh, but I'll say that currently, our first and primary uh, priority is keep the mission going now. And we are definitely seeing a huge increase in bandwidth and uh, needs from our customers and also latency. The other thing I'll just say is that network is part of a, obviously an enabler to making sure that computing works and data and applications work. And so that to me is the connection. So there's, I've not seen that level of synergy other than what I'm seeing now. Because of the mission is 24-7 and stuff it goes down in seconds, we've got to bring it up or or you know, uh, if there's an outage for longer than you know, we get everyone's notice, uh, you get an ad hoc message, and then we're, we're all you know, making sure things are restored. So you have to have the systems management view by connecting things together and looking at that flow and making sure it's not this, the troubleshooting should be over here. So that's another area of focus for us. A lot there to, to kind of dig into a little bit, but let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can dig into it a little bit. My guest is Sunny Bagawalia, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner and Deputy CIO in the Office of Information Technology at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Director at the Homeland Security Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Fordinet on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Innovation. 
everyone says it. At KPMG, we know actions speak louder than words. For over 100 years, KPMG has helped federal agencies adapt to changing times with innovative approaches. Today, we're helping agencies advance in areas like cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, blockchain, cognitive analytics, and secure cloud. Let our past experience help propel your future forward more quickly and with greater agility and efficiency. Become future ready with KPMG. Visit futureadygovernment.com. Here's Rick Walsh, Program Manager, Mobile and Innovation, U.S. Army, on the Federal Executive Forum on the Internet of Things, sponsored by Microfocus Government Solutions. Every soldier is a sensor, but to that end point, we have to have connectivity, therefore, so we are working with the Air Force and the DOD CIO and other organizations at the 5G build-out. 5G is going to be critical, because if you can't move the information, you don't have the information. To listen to the whole program from Treza Media Group, log on to federalnewsnetwork.com, search Federal Executive Forum. Microfocus Government Solutions and its master supplier, MFGS Inc., help agencies navigate the digital transformation journey with solutions in enterprise DevOps, hybrid IT, security risk governance, and predictive analytics. With a portfolio of longstanding products including ArcSight, Fortify, Vertica, Cobol, ALM, and PPM, MicroFocus Government Solutions and MFGS Inc. helps you bridge the gap between legacy systems and modern innovation to solve mission-critical IT challenges. Visit microfocusgov.com. That's microfocusgov.com. Today's innovation in government, Cyber Leaders and CDM Report, highlights the government's cyber challenges. Dennis Riley, Vice President of Federal at Gigamon, says agencies need to maintain cyber relevancy and pervasive visibility across the network to hold a war footing against cyber adversaries. Two things. First off, I would like to see Congress more robustly fund the program and DHS leadership as well. Give the program office the tools they need, the authority they need to work at cyber relevancy speed. If the Commandant Marine Corps thinks we've been in a cyber war for 10 years, we ought to be on a war footing, okay. and that means cyber-relevant speed. The okay. second thing is that uh, looking forward to the next 18 to 24 months is if you look at the network as the source of truth, the data has to traverse the network. So you want to have pervasive visibility in that network, whether it's a physical network, the virtual environment, or out into the cloud. Let FireEye, Forescout, Gigamon, Kerasoft, and their reseller partners help you imagine what your agency is capable of. To learn more, visit kerasoft.com innovation. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Fortinet on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Sunny Bagawalia, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner and Deputy CIO in the Office of Information and Technology for the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Directorate at the Homeland Security Department. Now, Sunny, before break, we were talking about infrastructure, SD-LAN, SD-WAN, and, and how that's giving you guys some opportunities to not only deal with the bandwidth issues, but also move to a configuration and security and all those things that come with this idea of, of a software-defined infrastructure. The other thing that I think our conversation and really your, your entire IT modernization efforts leading yeah. CBP and many other agencies down that path is how to find that balance between security, but also flexibility. Yeah. Because as you said, your mission is today is different than tomorrow, which is different than the next day in terms of- Absolutely all your needs. So how do you find that balance of security and flexibility? First of all, security needs to be built in throughout the process. You've heard this maxim, so we obviously uh, really pay heed to that. But it's also about the data. You know, sometimes people start focusing on network perimeters and, and all that other defense in depth aspects, which is important, but really it's about the data. So, you know, looking at the high value assets, making sure that's protected is, is a key area. And then the rest of it, you know, 
making sure there's adequate protection for the rest, is, I think, is, is sort of uh, an approach that we look at. Now, keep in mind, in everything, we are fully compliant with all the FISMA and, and all the other regulations. I think the thing I'll say is that while security is built in, we are also building privacy and uh, we're also looking at records management as well. So this is sort of uh, unique in terms of we've got a records management program also instantiated and looking at that aspect as we get to digital records at some point in the future. But, you know, laying the groundwork for a policy that we published and we have made a lot of improvements there. And Privacy Office, like I said, is fully with us and, you know, we're uh, doing pretty well in that area and always looking to make sure that's there. So while security and privacy is sort of being built in and then we're looking at records, on the other hand of it, we have to have flexibility because people need features and capabilities. So based on that, you know, uh, stories and things that need to be done in agile development with sprints, we have many, many concurrent application developments going on. So we have eight directorates right now that report to me and along with, uh, you know, our CIO. And we have uh, three uh, senior level staff as well, and then, uh, you know, four or five, 15 directorates, if you would. So out of the eight directorates, uh, four of them do application development. So, so each one of them has got, for example, supporting field operations or border patrol or AMO or trade, for example, right? So they need capabilities quick. So these sprints are done in like with one or two week deliverables out. You know, we have Jira uh, boards and we, we check our requirements and they're sitting in cross-functional teams and getting that capability out. That flexibility is really important. Associated with that is connection to mobility. Some of them now want this delivered in, in mobile settings so that we, because remember, we have a vast expanse of the country and vast supply chains that we look at in terms of trade, travel, and cargo, and all kinds of stuff there. So I think from that, flexibility and security is absolutely important. So you have to make sure you have the faster ATOs. You make, have to make sure there's adequate security built in, and you have to make sure the data classification is proper, privacy is thought through. But at the end of the day, application features are done and deployed in like two-week increments and done concurrently on many levels. And that's what we're doing. And I think that's what makes CVP a little bit more unique. I know there are a couple of other agencies who've extolled what their development is and development processes. This is one of the best I've seen in terms of uh, what the teams are doing. And it's quite incredible. As you go through this IT modernization effort, and, and you know, it's, as everyone says, it's a marathon, not a sprint in the least bit. Yeah. Security, as you mentioned, is, is top of mind, built in, not bolted on. We've heard that all before. Yeah. Do the changes of the way you approach IT modernization, whether it's through uh, uh, DevSecOps or whether it's through this, this idea of changing nature of cloud or infrastructure, SD-WAN, SD-LAN, does that make this flexible but secure approach, I don't call it easier, but at least the path is not as, as arduous. I'll just say first, you have to have a conversation and you have to have more conversation in the room. So there's a lot of discussions where people are looking at the same thing together. A lot of times they'd be sitting in different compartments and you just assume what the other person is looking at, but the communication wasn't there. And we have more communication looking at the same thing together. And when people look at the problem together, someone says, well, I need this, or why do you need that? And so with that conversation, and I think... Uh, and the uh, difference, though, the difference yeah, yeah. is it's the mission that you, when you have those conversations, because for a long time, the IT folks got a bad reputation saying, well, they, you guys just, we just throw it over the fence and you guys do it. And when I talk to CIOs, that's the biggest difference in, in terms of achieving that flexible security yeah. is the mission people are, are much more at the table now. Yeah, and I'll say that in our case, our eight executive directors are all SESs. They are very attuned to their customer sets, and right. that's what makes it different. The CIO as well here, uh, Phil, is doing an incredible job in terms of making sure he's been there 20 
six years or 27 years, so he knows the business process inside out. And those relationships really matter. So not only are you looking at the executive leadership level talking to each other, you're looking at the first level executives also talking to each other, and then the staff talking to each other, and then all focused on common features that are due out in like two-week increments. And that's why these things are working better. We also have security sort of uh, embedded in these teams, so you can kind of take a look at that. For example, on the SecDevOps pipeline, we've published how we want to look at not only CICD, but other pipelines. How are these look at and try to get to a common even pipeline? So we're looking at that. Currently, we have a couple, but uh, the point is these are all getting deployed faster and, and better. And we're even looking for opportunities within that pipeline to make it even better in terms of a SecDevOps 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 kind of uh, configurations. And looking at potentially, could we outsource that? Could we leverage that as a service as opposed to us and the government doing it? Sometimes in the government, we tend to add a few more features that make things unique, but why can't we put that out there? So I think all of that is coming together, and then when that happens is why you're seeing these features. For example, sometimes uh, you know when we see uh, some requirements come in, we uh, sort of check social media, we also get a, requ a requirement that comes from on high, we then implement it within days. So it's just something that is quite incredible to see, but it's only because there's this foundation of agile development in place, concurrent, and much focused on getting the capability to the mission owner and talking to them. When you talk about uh, DevSecOps, how much of, of a role does automation and orchestrations play in these days? I know I've talked to yeah. your partners, for instance, at the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service, who's been in a lot of ways ahead of a lot of other agencies when it comes to DevSecOps. Are you guys borrowing from them to add automation orchestration? I would say we're also pretty good. Right. Uh, <laughs> so that's good. A little, a little healthy competition, yeah. But I would say, for example, they're doing some things on APIs. That's pretty good, and they've shared that, and we, we can, I think we can leverage some of the API concepts there. But uh, I don't think we're any, we're, we're no slouches. We're, we're doing a lot of stuff that we don't talk about it much. It's not uh, out there. But I'll say that my teams are running with, I think, uh, with uh, someone like XD Henderson, Rochelle Henderson, doing something in, in BEMS or, or Valerie Isbell, reading for Passenger, or Jim in, in, in Targeting, or, or, or Rob McMullen in Cargo. I'd put them again, CTO Tom Mills. <laughs> Every one of these folks really doing a great job, but I think there's still opportunity to unify that. Yeah. And to answer your question, yes, we do leverage from each other. And there's absolutely no problem sharing yeah. and learning learning from others. So yes, I think the API concept that USCIS has is pretty good. And uh, we can integrate a little bit better there. You mentioned mobility. And mobility is such a big deal for CBP because so much of the mission area is outside the office. The office is the border. The office is the port of entry. The yes. office is yes. with the cargo uh, hole, if you will. How is mobility playing and how are you using your IT modernization strategy and efforts to support that need, that, that, that growing need for mobility? We want to make sure, so we've deployed a mobile device manager uh, sort of on all our devices, so all the agents and all the civilian workforce and everyone else, they can all use a common uh, MDM format that we can now see very quickly and uh, how that service is provided, and we are providing that service, uh, you know, and, and so that's been very, very good in terms of using AirWatch and, and those kind of capabilities. We are also deploying capabilities that are unique to what the agents need in terms of uh, like a technical awareness kit, which allows them to see situational awareness of forces and where they are and those kind of capabilities. Uh, we also are deploying those features out in terms of uh, mobile apps that are featuring to the citizen. And I think that is also another capability to allow people to 
even from remote uh, register their boats or whatever into the so uh, my point is that all of these mobility is very key to that so the idea is that information should be made available for any mission and authorized user anywhere anytime uh, on on any device so i think that's one thing that we're doing the other part of mobility however is security so we want to make sure that that endpoint security on that is maintained and that that's why mdm helps us the other part of mobility is obviously, you know, tablets, how they can help us do business process faster and look at that. And uh, laptops, they're going to basically uh, replace the, uh, you know, desktop. And so we're kind of, we have also not only deployed Office 365, so one of the other directors, Ed May, is doing an incredible job. We sort of deployed Office 365 and Windows 10 with Chris Wurst is another exec who is sort of keeping the field operations going. So all of these, as you can, as I'm telling you, the team, is doing an incredible job in making sure that you have the basic uh, capabilities first available on any device. So we've completely migrated 75,500 folks to Office 365, and amazing. So that's been done, so now you have that capability, along with the mobile device manager that you know, Bob's team did, along with, in combination with uh, you know, our others, and then the support of that, and then making sure Windows 10 security is also there, right? There's a mandate that allows that. So when you have the operating system and all these are going in, that's really important. And oh, by the way, we also then have operational devices, which are considered the non-IT, as, well, as you know. And so that also needs to be updated because guess what? All those sensors and everything else and all their other collection platforms will have information as well. So. It's really busy and it's quite amazing. I can tell you one thing, you know, we get a few hours of sleep and then, uh, <laughs> and then these team is just, it's an incredible team. Sonny, it sounds like we need to get you some help, a little more uh, employees in there. We'll have to work on that, right? <laughs> no, I think the size of the mission is quite incredible. That's, but yeah, yeah. that's but why. We have a pretty good team there. All right, well, no, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. You mentioned data several times, so we'll go down that path. Yeah. My guest is Sonny Bagualia, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner and Deputy CIO in the Office of Information and Technology for the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Directorate in the Homeland Security Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Fortinet on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Ask the CIO, SLED Edition, the connection between federal, state, and local IT. Search CIO SLED on Federal News Network. Qualcomm believes the world should move in one direction, forward. They introduced the world to 3G and 4G, and now they've unlocked 5G, and with it, the invention age. That means smartphones with unprecedented mobile speeds. Cars will connect to each other and virtually everything around them. And your PC will be as connected as your smartphone. Learn more about the invention age at Qualcomm.com slash we invent. Proven healthcare interoperability matters. Every day, HIEs powered by InterSystems HealthShare serve over 200 million people connecting millions of disparate health records. This not only gives patients the freedom to get the care they need, but also streamlines how they access it while reducing risks. For a proven interoperable healthcare solution, look to InterSystems, the power behind what matters. Here's Harish Luthra, President, NS2 Secure Cloud. SAP NS2 provides SAP products and services through the cloud for the government customers. We make sure we take care of compliance, security, functionality. We make sure that the SAP products which are available to our commercial customers become available to our government customers as well. SAP NS2 Cloud, powering the secure, intelligent enterprise. Visit SAPNS2.com. 
I'm Gigi Shum, host of Women of Washington. My show highlights the women executives of the Washington, D.C. area, how they began and how they built their career through the decades. These women are the groundbreakers and the trailblazers in their fields. They share their stories with me so the next generation executive can learn from them. Tune in Wednesday afternoons at 1 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, or subscribe to Women of Washington on iTunes or Podcast One. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Fortinet on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Sunny Bagawalia, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner and Deputy CIO in the Office of Information and Technology for the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Directorate at the Homeland Security Department. Now, Sunday, before break, we were talking a little bit about DevSecOps and the, the move to mobile. And throughout our conversation, one of the key things that you brought up is data. And one of the other pieces, focus areas of your IT modernization strategy is data and analytics. Give me a sense of where you guys are heading down that path because you collect a ton of data and you've got to find the needle in the haystack sometimes, and that's where the analytics come in. For example, some of the stuff that we're doing in the National Targeting Center is stunning. It's one of the best I've ever seen in terms of just uh, what we're able to go through many, many disparate data sources and systems and find information and then make that actionable in terms of intel that we share across other agencies. And, and uh, I think it's just quite amazing how that's done. And I think it all comes down to two things. One is it's all about the data. And you know my background, so not only on the, I've been in classified programs and, you know, being in the Bureau and other places where, you know, uh, sort of protect everything and share what you must sort of a area, you know, and or share everything, protect what you must, you know, from the other side of it, right? In open data, where you saw what I did with DataGov and then uh, also in Treasury, my team was supporting the Data Act, uh, you know, with the other mission owner. So those are two large government-wide programs that, you know, I've supported and led. Here it's a little different. It's more about the, you know, hey, listen, what are we? What are the data collection sources we have, and how do we analyze that and get to uh, some of the, the quick uh, decisions that we need? So, an agency our size, we are, we have a lot data sets in petabytes that cover various aspects of all our mission, from immigration data to trade. Uh, we need to understand what data exists, where it exists, and how can it be used. The classification of the data, uh, taxonomy, and all that is really important. But we also need to have the analytics go faster. You need actionable intelligence so we can't spend weeks conducting analysis uh, if it gets stale, for example, in the trade space, moving much faster in that area. But one of the top priorities is deploying analytics capabilities as well so that the agents and officers can have informed decision-making quicker where they are on the front lines. And so we're using modern technologies and systems, including like graph databases, complex analytics, and providing dashboards and visualizations so you can see how this information links together and we take data with context to become information, you know, with our experience to become knowledge, right? So that's, that's really the key. And that tacit knowledge sits with our agents and officers who do this on a daily basis. So, I mean, you know, so when you put all that together, we're able to quickly look at information on many, many different levels and solve some of the toughest mission challenges including we go on the high side and, and look at that all the way. So there's a data security enclaves as well. We are working to expand our view just beyond emission data so we can also look at other external data sources while putting it together so data then becomes information. So I think this analytics, we're using tools, techniques, uh, dashboards, measures, performance measures, so we can actually see how well we're doing against certain things. And this can go anything from our border mission to our trade mission, you know, to our targeting mission, to our cargo mission, so all of these things, and then unify that linking towards a strategic plan, looking to how well are we doing across now the 12 initiatives from the commissioner. These 12 initiatives each has an area, and infrastructure is one of those uh, 12 initiatives. So 
and then linking across various projects and portfolio approaches to how well are we doing on our projects and systems to deliver that capability, and then finding opportunities to link those together. So I think we're seeing tremendous increase in our workload, but we're also seeing that, and all that is possible because of analytics. So I think analytics is going to be another growth area for us, and it's going to only be a matter of taking uh, to the next level. You all know the big terms like big data and all the other terms that you've seen before. This is really taking it uh, into a new space where stuff is available very quickly, finding what's pertinent, and then act acting on it. You mentioned a, a capabilities like dashboards and visualization, kind of some of the keywords. Are there certain analytical tools or, or analytical capabilities that you think would be helpful or you're missing? You, you didn't bring up the keywords AI or machine learning yet, but you probably will. But, but are there certain capabilities that you're looking at? I think first of all, you get what you measure and then so we, all those maxims hold true. We are first linking it so that there's a line of sight into what we want to do. And so, so we've got to be pragmatic first is my point. But we're also, yes, we have an innovation program called Invent there where we're looking at uh, AI and machine learning and uh, we'll even look at blockchain and other capabilities. But there the idea is running it on a very specific use case where we can actually see, uh, run that and see for patterns that we see different and then see what we can learn from that and then adapt. But uh, I think on the visualizations right now we are seeing a lot, but at the end of the day it really has to be pertinent. You know, it has to be so what? And I think that's so what is where we are uh, really making things happen and making that a little bit more transparent as well so people can see how, how well are we achieving that mission. When we say something, this is what's happening, you can see the data and then reach your own conclusions based on that. So I think that open data and closed data debate is we handle both aspects of that and, and make it happen. Is the innovation program coming from your office in the CIO's world or is it something in the mission world? We participate in that, but it's handled uh, in the commissioner's office with the, but with the mission stakeholders and us, we're all in there together. I think that's what's different also in CBP is that everyone's working together mm -hmm. to try to get towards a one CBP example. <clears throat> It'll take a little while in some areas because mission is so important every day, but I think the analytics is really helping us in this area. And so it's a growth area for us. Let's go through the strategic plan just briefly, but then talk about where IT fits in within the strategic plan more yeah. broadly. I will say that on the strategic plan, however, one of the things is that while you're looking at some strategy going forward, this is a very tactical organization. There's firefighting every day. There's stuff happening every day on the front line, and you've got to adapt. So you come with the best laid you know, uh, plans, and as my boss, he likes a quote, you know, uh, the first punch, when you get the first punch, <laughs> you, you have to adapt. So we have to adapt every day. Every day I come in wanting to do ABC and then I end up doing up to, uh, up to XYZ, including ABC. So I think that's one of the key things that makes this job incredibly tough, but so rewarding. Because at the end of the day, we see the outcomes, we see the analytics, we see what we're doing on the mission, we see what our folks are doing, and we're trying to get that word out. So I would just encourage everyone to just spend a day in the life and you'll see, and if you just look at the day in life in 2018, look, look that up, it's quite stunning what we're doing, but it has to be tactical along with strategic, and that to me is the linkage. That's important. And portfolio analysis, portfolio analysis is where we've seen that, for example, some of our workload in the IT workforce and, and just our projects has grown up by 400 some odd percent over the last seven, eight, seven, eight years. But then our direct control of some of the IT has, been, has gone down a little bit, and of, uh, it has gone down you know, 10, 20%. So 
but that means mission controls that, but then we got to work with the mission. So it's a, it's a positive and, uh, you know, in some areas we need to work. Excellent. Sonny, this has just been a fascinating conversation. Uh, I really do appreciate your time. So let me thank my guest, Sonny Bagawalia, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner and Deputy CIO in the Office of Information and Technology for the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Director at the Homeland Security Department. Sonny, thank you again so much for your time. Thank you so much. Yes, Appreciate it. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Fortinet, on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, go to federalnewsnetwork.com and search Ask the CIO. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, sponsored by Fortinet. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.